What's up? What's up? What's up? Podcast world. Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Remember to keep supporting the partners and sponsors that support us. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends again, Lynchburg, Tennessee, one of the most iconic brands in American and world history, Jack Daniels, Tennessee whiskey, sour mash. You've seen them on all of our TV shows, all of our podcasts. We're so humbled by our affiliation with the Jack Daniels brand and everything that they bring to us here at the foul life. This life ain't for everybody, the provider, all of our brands can't wait for y'all to see what the future holds with Jack Daniels. When you drink Jack Daniels, whether you just got dumped, whether you're fired up, whether you're watching the night of UFC fights on pay-per-view, remember to enjoy it responsibly and never allow underage drinking. I'm excited about today's show. I got another fighter on here, a wrestler background, jiu-jitsu guy, a fighter that can throw hands, can take you down, can tie you up and unleash absolute pain on you in a hurry. I've seen it done. TJ Dillashaw, how are you, my man? Doing good, brother. Doing real good. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Southern California. I live in uh, Linda, California. It looks like you're in like a, a, a MMA Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Fame or something. <laughs> I'm walking through it. This is my office, man. You're, you're walking into my office. So you are from Cali. You wrestled in high school in Cali. You had an awesome 10-year, four-year career in Cali, then went to Cal State Fullerton, which is known as a baseball powerhouse because when I was playing college baseball at UNLV, Mark Kotze, there was some studs on Fullerton when we went when we play them down in SoCal or they came up to Vegas. But you wrestle there, you go to you you have an awesome D1 career, you're a three-time qualifier in the NCAAs, and then all of a sudden you are you stuck wondering what to do or did you know like going into it because i don't really want to just start off by jumping into your fight career but i often wonder like when you go to college and you wrestle back in the day there wasn't really anything to come out of that unless you like went went to the olympics and then kurt angled it into the uh you know the the vince mcmahon wwe world what what what's happening right there in your junior senior year at fullerton to where dillashaw is like i'm gonna be an mma guy I never knew I was going to be an MMA guy. I actually got talked into it. Um, after I graduated, um, I was actually enrolled in grad school to become a physician's assistant, um, doing all my internships and all that, all that good stuff. Uh, did five years of Cal State Fullerton and then tried doing a summer school to get my prereqs out of the way and hated it. You know, I was like, well, why am I going back to school? Like, what the hell am I doing? Um, and I had an assistant wrestling coach, Mark Munoz, who was a UFC fighter at the time, talk me into fighting. You know, I went and coached at one of his uh, summer wrestling camps, the West Coast uh, wrestling camp he does down in Carlsbad, and uh, met Uriah Faber down there. And uh, Mark's like, man, I think you'd be one hell of a fighter. You're a mean-ass wrestler. You should give it a shot. And, um, you know, I pondered around for a little bit, decided to drop out of grad school and move up to uh, Sacramento. And gave, I told myself, I gave myself one year, if I was any good at this, this fighting thing, I would stick with it. If not, I can always go back to school and uh, the rest was history, man. Now, I don't mean to sound like an a-hole because I know what you could do to me if we, if we ever got into a physical <laughs> confrontation. But I think that you're a way better MMA fighter than you ever were a folk style wrestler. And I think that's because I, I'm now that you tell me the story of Uriah Munoz seeing Mark seeing something in you. They probably saw that, that, man, this dude has got way more than just being able to high crotch somebody or ankle pick somebody or, you know, standing Gramby or whatever you were specializing in the, in the folk wrestling. Is that fair to say that you, your, your career in MMA has been incredible, man? 
Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm by, I'm by far, the sport was made for me. I mean, when I, once I first started, I instantly knew that I was going to be good. It didn't take me a year to figure that out. I mean, I got, I got on the ultimate fighter within a year. Um, so I, I catapulted super fast. Mark knew that I was going to be good because I was mean. Um, I was throwing punches wrestling when I shouldn't have been doing it kind of thing. You know, I, I hate to lose. I'm a very, very competitive person. I've been raised that way. And, uh, everything can if anything if anything doesn't go that way i get i get a little bit angry and I, I take it out on you you know so it was like perfect perfect for fighting you're allowed to actually do that um just got to learn to control it a little bit and then that anger followed me to team alpha male and meeting chad mendez and you're at favor and the joseph benavides the guys that are number two and three in the world of my weight classes um and that 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 followed me up there being the most competitive angry guy to kind of practice with and uh i really believe that's what pushed me to the top is just my competitiveness. You know, I, I'm an athlete, you know, I definitely picked up on striking super fast and fell in love with it. Um, that's how I know wrestlers that are going to be good at fighting is if they're athletic, you know, cause wrestling is like one of those things to where you don't have to be the best athlete to be a wrestler. You know what I mean? Like when I, when I say athlete, I mean, being able to do other sports. Like, can you go out and shoot a basketball? Can you hit a baseball? Can you play all sports? Can you hit a golf ball? Right. A lot of wrestlers, they can't even shoot a basketball to hit the backboard, you know, and, and, um, but they're, they're really badass wrestlers, but I was always, I was always pretty athletic. Um, but just mainly, I think my competitive edge and being mean is what got me to where I was at. Okay. So let's take this, let's take this here. And I, I, again, I love your career. But what I don't understand is I want to fast forward to the future in the current times, and then I want to work my way back. Yeah, hell yeah. Does your competitiveness, and I look at it almost like a John Jones too, because I often wonder what goes through a guy like your head when you have your way with people and you can t- take care of yourself and manhandle them. Does your competitiveness push you to the point to where it did for you when you released that video in April about the about what was going down and, and, and what your shortcomings were and what you did and what USADA found out? Why, TJ? What goes through such a badass athlete and fighter that has the world in the palm of his hand? What goes through your head to take it to that level? Um, You know, what, what I really haven't talked about yet because I didn't really want to create any kind of excuses of what I've done. Um, is that I wasn't normal. You know, I was a champion, 135 pounds. I got this great opportunity to drop down to 125s and take another belt, which um, in theory was an amazing idea. You know, do something no one else has ever done, um, go down a weight class, select another belt, take up another belt. Um, but I became anemic. My body shut down on me. Um, I got down to 4% body fat about six weeks out from the fight. My body went through complete anemia. Uh, my hematocrit was up down in the 30s. I'd wake up and I didn't want to train. I was getting ridiculously tired. Even though I was training my butt off to make the weight and also training just a fight camp, when you're the best athlete in the world and, and you can feel these minor adjustments, waking up and being anemic is, I don't want to train. Like there's, I, I, couldn't have, I couldn't have made it to the fight. And so I was willing to do whatever it took to get there. And, um, you know, I, 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 I hated myself for a long time for doing it, but it's been a, yeah, man, it was just a bad choice. You know, I took an anemia medication that its main ingredient was erythropoietin, which is for you guys that don't know, is a EPO, um, kind of the Lance Armstrong um, drug to make you have uh, better long, long-term long endurance. It's not nothing that's going to help you out dramatically within within fighting. I'm not trying to run a marathon. It's more, fighting's more of a sprint. It's more of a maintained sprint. But I just, I couldn't wait. I couldn't be myself. You know, if I'm going into a fight to try to be, Two, two division belt, two division belt champion to be the 
one of the greatest names of all time in MMA. And I'm going out there and feeling like a turd. You know what I mean? So I feel like I, I needed to be myself and, and that's what I got myself to be. Um, and unfortunately I, I knew it was illegal. I knew that I shouldn't have done it, but I was told that it would never show up. And, uh, it did, man. Um, I got, so I got a little story behind. It. I got drug tested, uh, five weeks before the fight. And that's when I was becoming anemic and I was feeling it. I got drug tested five weeks before the fight. I was kind of doing my math. I was like, yeah, I bet I, bet I don't get drug tested again until weigh-ins. You know, I've, I've been through this drill. I, I, like, I bet I don't get drug tested until weigh-ins, so I'll be fine. I could do it, you know. And uh, I did it and I got off it when I thought I should and um, just didn't, didn't – just so just – fucked up man to be honest you know what i mean like I want well, to wait a minute. What, what do you mean by what you just said that you know the drill and i want i want to say that in, in a way to where when i saw what you did okay on the ultimate fighter and the face-to-face confrontations with no love and what you did in that fight and what you did in the two two, two bouts with Burrell, like you look you were you were literally looked at as like the baddest ass dude like nobody could mess with you did you ever cheat in those days and then it was just because you were going anemic of dropping away. You would put your hand on a Bible because the first thing that's going to naturally come to people's oh. mind is, well, what, what was he on it when, when he fought Cody? And when, what about when he fought Brow? Because Brow was a freaking animal, dude. And you made him look like he's never even been in the octagon before. Truly, like you destroyed that dude twice. Like it never happened before. No, man. I mean, and, and the, obviously I'm going to get speculations. People are going to do it. And no matter what, you're going to get these haters are going to say it. And there's not, no way around it. But um, after I failed that drug test, you saw it went back and took every sample. They collect you, they keep your samples. They keep your samples for as long as they need them for. And uh, they went back and drug tested all my old samples. They, uh, I was already, I already been drug tested all the way up into the day. And then they went back and retested all my old stuff. And uh, no, man, nothing ever showed up. Like I don't, I never took anything in the past. I took it because I had to be my, I mean, to, to tell you how bad it was, like, I, I'm normally walking around with a hematocrit, which your hematocrit is your red blood cell to white blood cell count. I test my body everything, my hormone levels, my hair analysis, my 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 blood cell count, you know, my CBC, all that good stuff. My normal hematocrit walk around is like 45, 46. I was down in the mid 30s. And when I when I fought, I was still low 40s. So even though I was taking this PED, this anemia medication, I never even got my body back to normal. You know what I mean? But it's still illegal. No matter what, there's there's no excuses. It's illegal. So how do how do you mentally it just it destroys your psyche when this happens because you go from being on top of the world to going down and fighting somebody like Henry, right? Does it does it eat you at today? Does it eat at you to see like him walk away from the game like he just did without you getting another shot at it? Tell me like what's going on before we start putting this in rewind. Yeah, man. Um, it fucking. I mean, it's ate away to me for really hard especially when it first went down man like crazy depression I mean, you're on top of the world then you're in the as low as it possibly gets as well as as soon as i found out i was failing a drug test i got double shoulder surgery um i needed i've been needing shoulder surgery for like four years i've been putting it off because i've had title fight after title fight so as soon as i uh admitted to everything i knew i was getting suspended for two years i went and got uh two surgeries so not only was i sitting there like feeling like a piece of shit for what i did but i'm also slinged up back to back on shoulders. Um, that doesn't help at all, you know, and then watching Henry Cejudo go and, uh, beat someone and, and think that he's the best 135 pounder when, uh, he's not. And then supposedly retire, which I think is a money, money grab. I think he's not really retired. You can hear him like tweeting and saying all his bullshit. He's still saying, um, Henry Cejudo does not get, does not get paid very well because he's a very unlikable, 
Um, not a very big draw kind of guy. He's a, he's a dweeb, you know, um, people don't really want to watch him or he's not very, he's not a sellable kind of guy. And so, but he wanted to, he wants to get paid, which he should, man. He's a Olympic gold medalist. He's a two division champion. He should be getting paid, but, um, he's just not a draw. So I think him by him, by retiring, I think it's his, his way of trying to tell the UFC pay me to kind of come back. He'll create, that's why he's continuing to create this drama with the fighters that are still in the league. Cause people are going to want to fight him. Eventually people are going to want to see something. I'm going to come back here beginning of next year. I'm going to get my fucking belt back. I'm going to call a little pussy out and tell him, uh, he's definitely never been the best in the world. 135s and to come and prove it. And, all his little bitch ass of retirement and uh, get him paid for getting his ass kicked. Okay, so what happens on the night in the fight? What is your body so ran down that you can't get off? The night of the fight? Yeah. No, I felt good, man. I felt good going into the fight. Um, there's no excuses on that. I mean, other than I don't think I was fully re I don't think I was fully hydrated. I mean, I weighed in 125 pounds. I walked into the cage weighing 152 pounds, just you know, feeling great. Um I had a rough camp and, and I went, I did, I did a bunch of boxing sparring for the fight camp. I was going out to India and doing a lot of boxing sparring. I was going against a bunch of Olympic gold medalists and some super good Russians and some good Mexican boxers out there. And, uh, I got knocked, I got dinged like about two weeks before the fight. Got, I'd say I got concussed pretty good. Um, and, and played it off. You know, I knew that I was going to this fight again. I wasn't going to turn down the fight. Um, and I, you know, it's something coming back a little too soon that I probably shouldn't have. Again, I've never, ever said this before in an interview. I'm never going to blame it on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got dinged. I cut a little bit too much weight. But I felt awesome going in there. I never had that in the back of my head. Um, but to watch the fight and to see that I didn't even really even get hit, like hardly even got hit, but lost my legs a little bit there. I was still, I was still consciously there, but lost my legs. Um, anytime you get hit, if you're going <laughs> to – for you people that want to hit someone and stumble them – aim from behind the ear towards the back of the head. It's the brainstem. It'll kind of make those guys uh, loopy. They'll still be there, but your legs won't be underneath you. It's like you got drunk goggles on or something. Um, it's just crazy to me how easy it happened. You know, like he barely even touched me. Like his pinky grazed the back of my head and I just lost my legs, you know? Um, so it didn't really make sense to me, but I felt great. I felt... Should it have been I, called? I feel like a million bucks going into it. Should it have been called the way it was? No, it, it definitely got stopped too early. But um, in hindsight... If I would have went and won that fight, this shit would have been way worse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. That um, makes total sense. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely would never want to lose the fight. I would really, I still would have rather have won. But the situation I'm going through now would have been way worse if I would have won that fight. You know, I would have been even ridiculed even more, which I'm going to be ridiculed no matter what. Especially when I come back, there's gonna be a lot of shit talking going on. There's gonna be a lot of other fighters talking shit about me being a cheater. This maybe, and that's that's the hardest part of having to deal with what I did. I mean, two hard parts. One is that I'm going to have to forever um, live up to this shit. Right. And then the hardest, hardest part is that my teammates and my coaches, how much fucking, sh excuse my language, how much shit they caught for this. Um, you know, people that have put their entire life, like my strength conditioning coach, Sam Calavito, which I'm going to work out with here soon. He's the one that helped me make 125s. I never brought this to his attention, never told him what I was doing. And he's going to get ridiculed for it, right? Like my teammates are, everyone's going to throw them under the bus. I mean, my strength conditioning coach trains uh, world-class wrestlers as a David Taylor, um, the best wrestlers in the world, going to be getting an Olympic gold medal eventually. Um, you know, there's guys speculating that he's on steroids because he looks amazing. You know, taking away all and the coming back from and coming back for some serious knee injuries and coming back from knee surgery. I mean, looks like a freaking animal, and people are throwing out these accusations at him, and that's my fault. 
You know what I mean? Like there's no way around it. That's completely my fault. And that, that one digs deep. Um, my family's got to deal with it, you know, but ultimately, man, it's just like, and I, I just gotta, I just gotta fucking own it. You know I mean? I kind of already have, but even when I come back, it's not over, you know, cause when I come back, okay, I, I want to get into that. I want to get into the psyche of a fighter, but first I want your opinion. What happens when, when, uh, Taylor gets with Martin because of, of, our boy freaking mouthing off two weeks ago and getting kicked out of the like to a pro, I don't know what's going to happen with with Downey, but what happens with Martin Taylor? P, uh, Penn State against Ohio State. Taylor is literally my favorite wrestler to watch offensively. I love watching Jordan, but I mean, this dude's a stud, David Taylor. He was on the podcast a couple months ago, and he's been on it twice. And I love talking wrestling with him. But who who does Dillashaw have when he meets up with Miles My, Martin? I'm not being biased, but Taylor, man, he's just uh, insane how much he's changed himself and how strong he's gotten, and he does not stop. His gas tank is endless, man. Um, the training we do, we have the same training mission coach, Sam Calvita trains David Taylor uh, remotely, right? Puts him on all his workout programs. Um, and the lactate threshold he's able to push. And in wrestling, more than fights. So fighting is a very anaerobic lactate threshold sport. Wrestling is even more so. Um, out of all the martial arts I still do today, wrestling is still the hardest wrestling is still the one that I do not look forward to. Um, if I'm going to get hurt, it's in wrestling. If I'm going to get tired, it's in wrestling. Um, we've had a couple badass wrestlers out here helping me train with Juan Archuleta to get him ready for his next fight. Uh, Joey McKenna and, uh, Frank Pirelli and just wrestling with those guys, man. It's just, it brings me back to my college days and how much I hated it. <laughs> I mean, wrestling, wrestling is the toughest sport in the world. It's underappreciated. You guys don't get paid what they should. Um, but David Taylor, would you see what he's been able to do and, and the gas tank he has and what he's able to do on his lactate threshold is insane, man. Uh, I was watching a video of him doing pull-ups the other day with the 80 pound dumbbell in between his legs and just cranking them out off pull the back up. of his truck. Yeah. That little hitch he's got. I mean, he was doing four sets of like, it's crazy how strong he is. Insane, man. And, uh, cause I, I know it cause I do the same program as he does. You know, I'm on the exact same program through, uh, coach Cal here. And, uh, the guy just, he'll take anyone in deep water. I mean, that's, that's his biggest weapon. I mean, obviously he's very technically sound, but he will take you so deep. You're going to get uncomfortable. No matter who you are, you will get tired. If he's tired, you're dead. You're dead. He's going to push you to those deep water. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to wear anyone out. So when the notification comes down from USADA, it's one thing for Chad Belding to get the report on MMA hotwire and like, Oh shit, TJ got caught. He might get suspended. It's one thing for Dana White and for T, for he, the Fertitta brothers to hear it. How difficult is it, though, for TJ Dillashaw to sit down with your strength and conditioning coach, your your corner, your jiu-jitsu coach, your boxing coach, all the guys that got you here, your sparring partners? How What kind of heart-to-heart is that? And do they get pissed at first? Do they hug you and say, no problem, bro, don't let it happen again? Or do they look at you and go, how could you not tell us you knew what you were doing? Or did you admit that you knew what you were doing right from the beginning? A little bit of mixed emotions from everyone, you know. Um, they all understood it once I kind of explained it to them. But, you know, I, I mean, everyone handles it a little bit differently. You know, my, my, main, my main coach, Dwayne Ludwig, 
Um, we'll be brothers for the rest of our lives. He's uh, my main man. He um, definitely understood it. He knows what I put myself through more than anyone. Um, Sam Calvita does too. He sees the strength conditioning, but Dwayne Ludwig's at every practice. He sees when I wake up, how I'm feeling and he could tell, you know, but he didn't, he didn't know what I was doing, but he could tell how shitty I felt before. So, um, he just thought I was overworked, right. Which I was, but he, he thought of something like, just like take some breaks on and come back from, um, but, uh, you know, I had a heart to heart with each one of them. I broke down in front of them, you know, especially Sam Calvita. Cause I feel like he's in a, he caught the most, most, most shit for this because he was the one that I was hyping up, helping me make this weight. He was the one that I was hyping up. Re- what, the reason why I moved back down to Southern California for my strength and conditioning and what my body's doing and testing my hormone levels and doing hair analysis and how scientific we were about everything. Of course, people are going to point the finger and be like, well, then this guy puts you on steroids and everyone's going to call it a steroid, which it's not, but that's what they're going to say, you know? And so I felt the worst for him. Uh, I broke in and obviously they, they, they do so much for me and ask so little, um, there's those kind of people. And so that was very hard. Um, for talking to them and my parents was, was very, very tough. You know, I'm a grown ass man and I'm crying in front of my parents telling them like what I did. You know what I mean? Um, is that a hard ass growing up? Did he discipline you like a son of a bitch? Is that where you got your competitiveness and your work ethic? Cause you're out splitting logs for the winter or freaking carrying groceries in. So mom doesn't have to break her back. Were you a really disciplined to where your dad's looking at you? Like, are you effing kidding me, TJ? You didn't need to do this shit. Yes. Um, yes. And no. Uh, he disciplined the shit out of me growing up. I mean, that's what we did. Like, exactly. Splitting wood. Grew up in a small town, Angels Camp, California, a town of 3,500 people. Um, you know, always had to make my own way. My family's well off, but we've always had to work our asses off. And my dad, my dad's the one I got my work ethic from. Um, he's the one I always tell everyone, like, who's your hero? It's my dad kind of thing. You know what I mean? He's the one that made me who I am. And my mom's the one that made me mean. My mom's the mean, my mom's the mean one. You know, she's the one that used to beat the shit out of us. But uh <laughs> They, uh, they're very supportive, man. They love us. You know, I'm a very lucky human being the way I was raised. Uh, I got to, I have a very loving family and obviously disappointed, but no matter what I do, they will love me kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, um, it same goes for your coaches too. Yeah. Of all, course. Of them, all of them stuck by your side. They all stuck by my side. I'd say, uh, me and coach Kaus, uh, Sam Calvita kind of butted heads a little bit. And I know at first it was kind of like, yeah, he's accepting it, whatever. But then I don't think you understand how big he's never been like a big public figure. You know what I mean? So when you start seeing people write crap about him on social media or on talk crap about him on YouTube, that tell him it's his fault, even though it's not. And I've came out and said that like it eats away at it. Right. Um, and at first it was like, all right, well, we'll get through this. But then eventually it was kind of like, he's tired of hearing it. He's tired of the people thinking things. And eventually it came to butt heads and, um, I'll never say it was exactly that, but we had a little like a little falling out there for I'd say a month, but uh, mended mended it, and uh, yeah, I'm back to working with him, and you know, obviously, I had to continue to apologize, and like I did, like I said, man, this thing that I did it doesn't just affect me; it affects my family, my coaches, the ones I love the most, and that's been the hardest thing to, to possibly. Are you with. married, TJ? I am. Yeah, I'm married. I got a wife. I've uh, been together, been together for twelve, married for six, or no, longer than that together for 14 married for six got a two and a half year old um so yeah man that that's also another thing that uh you know i'm gonna have to tell my son about you know what i mean that's something how'd your wife take it did she know that it was going on before the test came out she was the only one yeah she didn't agree with it obviously um but i you know she also knew how i felt she also knew that um what was going on like that i had this giant fight that was going to change change our lives you know what i mean that like 
could could change the future forever, something you can take a few more fights on and retire on. You know what I mean? Um, you start seeing the end of this tunnel, and it's like, I want to be able to make this fight. I couldn't have made the fight. I wouldn't have made the weight. Uh, I'll tell you that now. I wouldn't have made the weight. I'll never, ever say that I can again. I'll never, ever try to go on 25s because I'm already lean, man. Um, to, to give you kind of an understanding, I'm walking around right now 168 pounds, and that's because I haven't competed in a year and a half and I've been able to put on some muscle, but yeah, you look amazing. Out, you look, you look like you've been working out like a freaking banshee. I have I me. Mean, I got to come back. I got to prove myself, bro. You know what I mean? How like, do you, how do you go from a weighing in at 125 pounds to, is it 24 hours from weigh in to fight? And how do you weigh 27 more pounds in one in 24 hour period? Did you go eat a bunch of pizza? Did you feel <laughs> sluggish during the fight? Is I that normal to gain that much? I wish it was that easy, man. Um, no, it's about, I'd say it's about, because I'm the last fight of the night. It's probably 30 hours, more like 30 hours of time. if not longer. No, more like long. Yeah. It's more like, uh, 32, 34 hours of time until exactly when I fight. Um, but no, man, we do. My coach has got me on a, a specific diet. So I c completely glycogen deplete myself weeks leading up to the fight for the most part, kind of going ketogenic. I'm not ketogenic all the time. I'm intermittent keto, right? And I do it. I don't eat a keto diet because I work out so hard. I can get myself into ketosis with still eating carbs, but more simple carbs. And so I make myself glycogen depleted. I have no glycogen. Like I, I, my body's fiending for glycogen, right? And then after I weigh in, I turn myself into a glycogen battery with my diet. Um, there's certain recipes that my coaches have for the kinds of smoothies I'm drinking after, after weigh-ins, the food I'm eating, everything's really just loading me back up. And because I'm so insulin, insulin resistant, then as soon as I start putting in my body, I just turn into like a looking like a bodybuilder, like veins popping out, your muscles are just absorbing it. Your body's ready to just full of ATP, ready to explode. And that's kind of one of the big secrets of why I moved back down here with my coach is not only that he is, he's, he's, he's doing my strength conditioning program He's doing my supplementation. He's doing my diet. Um, but then he, he knows how to peak me perfectly. Um, when I wrestled D1, that was one of my biggest problems wrestling too as well too, is that I was just a like a regular meathead wrestler. You know, I just worked freaking harder. I cut weight like an idiot. I was in college. I was broke. I would cut weight to be a little bit under. I would go stand on the scale with a couple of spicy chicken sandwiches from Carl's Jr. I'd be like, nice, I can eat these. You know what I mean? I would eat them and just be on weight and go weigh in and, and wrestle. And I would do that for nine months straight. You know what I mean? Like wrestling, D1 wrestling season is crazy. And then unfortunately my coach, Dan Hicks started us early. We do hell week in August. We train super freaking hard. I'd always break my body down. So in December I'd be peaking. I'd peak in December and nationals weren't till March. I went out, I would, I would win Reno TOCs. I took second at the Las Vegas Invita uh, Invitational. I was ranked number, I was ranked nine in the nation. Um, feeling great. You know, ranked number one in pack tens. And then, three years in a row come the end of the end of the year, I just bomb it. You know, I went Oh, and six at nationals just felt like I was out. I felt like I was out of shape, you know, like I would go to wrestle and I would just burn out in the first round. I thought maybe it was just nerves, things you like that too early. Yeah. Come to find out, man, I was just completely, now that I know what I know now, I was completely overtrained. My testosterone was in the toilet. My cortisol was through the roof. I was just completely overtrained, man. I peaked in December. You know, so knowing how to peak my body now has been a huge thing. And all the things I've learned from Sam Calavita, I do, I do not believe that there is another uh, mixed martial artist on the planet that knows more about my body and knows more about the body and how to peak yourself than me. 
Yeah, when you talk about it, you sound very educated. It's, it would be amazing to rewind your career back to when you first enrolled at Fullerton and be able to have all this knowledge. And that shows you that maybe these college athletes should, so they're at their ultimate health, to so where they're not taking a chance of peaking too early or being depleted, glycogen wise or whatever, to where they might have a chance to, to hurt themselves in a way if they're not wrestling at their, t- you know, at their top peak. Why do you think Penn State has been so dominant? They've been using Sam Calavita for the last seven years. They are yeah. dominant. Even though this year, maybe Iowa would have taken them, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there was definitely some serious competition this year going into it. So, yeah. So, you're 165 pounds right now walking around. You are entering your last quarter, your last four months. I guess that's a third. <laughs> that's a third of the year. You're entering your last third of your suspension. You're eligible to fight again in January of 2021. What is the relationship like right now with the UFC? One, how many fights do you have left on your current contract? Two, what is your friendship and rapport like with Dana White, the new ownership group? Are they accepting of you coming back because of the show that you would put on when you were at your best? What's it like right now? What are you looking forward to? And what's the atmosphere and the, the attitude like with everybody? I haven't talked to the UFC, you know. Um, to be honest, it's been a very nice break. You know what I mean? I've been competing since I was eight years old. I've never had a break like this, um, and I would never uh, choose to do this. But it has been the some of the. I mean, other than the depression I went through and hating myself for so long, it has been an eye-opening experience to have this last year and a half to watch my son. The, the first year of his life, man, I, I realized now for this last year and a half how much of it I missed, how much I wasn't paying attention, how much um, business opportunities I was missing out on. Uh, just life. You know what I mean? Like everyone just thinks like, Oh, you got your, your own job. You're a fighter. You have the best job in the world. But like when you take it as serious as I do, you don't cut, you don't cut corners. You're not, you're everything else in life does not mean shit to you. Right. I mean, obviously my, my, my family does and my wife does and my son does, but I didn't realize on how much I was missing out on. You know what I mean? Um, but to get back to your question is that, uh, I haven't really talked to the UFC. Um, I'm sure I will here as we get a little bit closer and closer, um, you know, obviously, obviously, uh, they definitely will want me back. Um, but it's just, I mean, yeah, we got a good relationship, you know, to, to say that, but, um, I have, I don't know, probably like six, something like six fights left on my fight contract. I'll fight with UC forever. I'll never go anywhere else. Um, I'm setting myself up now outside the cage that when I come back, I won't have to fight for money. I've, I've done great in business now since I've been on my suspension um, I won't be coming back thinking like I need to fight for a paycheck. Um, and so I won't be, I want to be with the UFC because they're the best organization in the world. You know what I mean? Um, no matter what, even if I did run on my contract, I would be with them. Um, if you, if you, if no one remembers the champion of the world anywhere else, but the UFC, you know what I mean? If you want to build your, <laughs> that's true. The UFC, man. Um, and, uh, so you're saying that if, if, if one championship does, if comes to you and it offers you some of these rumored contracts that they're offering some of these fighters, you're saying no to one because you already have made your family comfortable and you're good to go right now, financially, revenue wise, business wise, and you're coming back to fight for the love of the game and the respect of the UFC. Yeah, man. It's actually going to take a lot of stress off of me other than all the bullshit I'll probably be going through, but it's definitely going to take some stress off the actual competing, right? So when you get out there to compete, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of MMA fans know, but if you're not an MMA fan, most of your contracts, you go out there, you have a show purse and you have a win purse. So if you go out there and lose, you get paid 50% of what your contract is. 
you go out there and win, you're doubling it. Right. Um, and we're a lot, a lot of fighters live in fight to fight, depending on what your lifestyle is like. Um, and so there's a lot of, I mean, you're putting all your, that's how you're putting your food on the table. And so, uh, when you want to take care of your family, it adds a little bit added pressure. You got goals in life and businesses you want to start or things you want to do. Um, it puts a lot, a lot of pressure on the table, but, uh, coming into this, this next trip coming around, uh, some things I've started that I won't, I won't have that. I won't have that pressure. The I things that I would have never been able to start what I've been able to do, um, while I was fighting. Makes it makes total sense because I've, I've seen, I've witnessed personally and, and always have, have, have said that UFC, it, it literally took people from the streets. It took people from local gyms and turned them in to national celebrities like red carpet rolled out, private jets, Vegas, the strip, the MGM, the Mandalay Bay, Caesars palace, the, you know, I've, I don't know, like the Matt Hughes and the, the, the Carwins and some of these guys that I've seen gone through hell. Like, I don't know if it wasn't caused of manic depression, of being on top of the world, and then all of a sudden not figuring out how to transition back into real life when all of that may, maybe was gone, when the winning was gone, the interviews were gone, the autograph seekers were gone. It's almost like you have to be prepared for that. Like in the minor leagues of baseball, you're coming up and you're seeing it. And then all of a sudden baseball America's putting it out there that Mike Trout's looking really good to be the starting left fielder in Anaheim next year for the California angels. Oh shit. Mike Trout just won the golden. You know, he's, he just won the all around silver slugger and he just won the triple crown and he just hit the home run site, whatever. It's almost like they're kind of mature, you know, they're matured into it, if that makes sense. And in, in, in other sports and football, you're kind of going to this organization to where it's this team concept. And it, you're like, you're like, what is the word I'm looking for? Not bread, but you're like, you're, it's easier to transition because you're kind of matured into the process where fighting is like, holy shit, man, I just got taken out of this little country gym and but BFE, Illinois. And now I'm freaking signing autographs and eating at Nobu sushi. And then it's gone. And it just seems like, it just seems like it, it, it's really been, hard for a lot of fighters to make that transition and wwe wrestlers in the same breath have had a hard time going back because they weren't ready for that yeah man um you agree with that i do and also if you think about some of like like i'll look at boxers i'll look at other nfl players and things like that and you look at their social media following and and their fan base and it's nothing compared to a lot of ufc fighters like that's one thing you see does a very good job at is marketing us and putting us out there. They do a very good, very good job of building our brands, you know, and, and you got to learn to capitalize on that. You know, you got to learn to, it sucks. I mean, it's part of the game, right? Like, um, I being, a, I mean, I, I've never been a character. I've always just been myself and I've tried to just sell that. So that's, it's a little bit easier, but guys that can be a character and don't mind doing it can, can be ridiculously famous. I mean, they do a very good job of building up our brands because um, it's, it's beneficial for them. You look at NFL stars and things like that. I mean, obviously if you're a really big name in the NFL, MLB and NBA and things like that, you have a following, but some of the guys that are making good money, you don't even, they have no one has no, no idea who they are. You know, I mean, I was, I remember walking around with Terrence Crawford, one of the best pound for pound boxers in the world earlier um, in my career when I was UFC champ and people were just like mobbing me for photos and no one knew who he was, you know, and he's like, damn, this is freaking crazy. Like everyone's all over Dillashaw, you know, and he's like one of the pound for pound best boxers in the world. Um, and it's, it's, it's just crazy to kind of see that. And so, yeah, you get thrown into it and things happen out of nowhere, right? I wouldn't say as soon as you get into the UFC, you're a star, right? But when I fought Burrell the first time, I was coming off an ultimate fighter contract. I was only getting paid $18,000 to show $18,000 to win when I went into that fight. Um, maybe had a, you know, 
20, 20,000 followers, if that, and then boom, overnight, just stardom. You know what I mean? Just like got blown up, um, fighting for world titles on ESPN. I mean, it wasn't ESPN. It was Fox then, you know, um, and just right away, you know, and you don't really have, luckily for me, I was on ultimate fighter like a year after my career. So I kind of at least had that little bit of light, like idea of interviews and limelight and whatnot, but people don't, you know, a lot of people don't. And yeah, you just get thrown to the wolves. Yeah. It just seems like that, that process would be hard to handle, man. If you don't have the right management and the right public relations, like what you went through just now, I mean, public relations and, and management can help tie that all together and help, you know, maybe bandaid it a little bit, even though you want to be honest and transparent, you still don't want. And then when you come back, you want somebody on your team to manage that and that onslaught, right? You got, you got to have help, man. I got, uh, my management got mad at me for doing the way I did it, but that's who I am, man. That's how my dad raised me. Um, I fucked up, man. I really did. And I got to own up to it. You know what I mean? Like, and I think, I feel like, yeah, sure. There's tons of guys that have gotten in trouble and they've kind of run from it and make excuses, taint the supplement this or whatever it may be. And like, I didn't come out and say that I was anemic. You know what I'm saying? it now, but I didn't, that wasn't my, I didn't make any excuses. Like, give me an up. athlete, give me an athlete right now, Dillashaw, who you don't make excuses. But who could help you through this? And I don't want, I don't want you, you can't say your coach and you can't say your mom and dad. Who do you want to sit down? Who could help TJ Dillashaw when, when he needed the help? Like how to manage this, how to prepare for this? Who did, did you think of anybody? Could you go sit down with Tyson and go, Tyson, you went through a whole shitload of, of public display, you know, like this stuff in your career with the rape, the imprisonment, the, the, all of the things that you went through, the Holyfield and biting his ear off. Is there anybody that you would sit down with TJ? I'm not trying to interrupt you, but I'm trying to to figure out how can you do that and then still concentrate on training and knowing your body the way you do and being ready to come back in January. I'm pretty fucking mentally tough, dude, to be honest. Like I just don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Um, got to roll with the punches, man. I mean, so you do don't need help. I don't think so. I mean, I don't really care. Are you know? ready right now? Are you ready to come back and face it and answer all the questions and then get back in the octagon and say, here's what I'm really put on this earth to do? I'm in a good place now. You know, you, you asked me that a year ago, I'd be like, fuck, man, I don't even know if I want to come back. You know what I mean? I could <laughs> so, tell. It wasn't hard to tell in case you were wondering. You, you could tell. There was a change. There was a big change. You could tell, no problem. Well, at least I could. I don't, I don't know you, but I know a lot of people that do, and I could just tell that there was, you know, that it, it had to be tough, man. Has to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 2019 was the hardest year of my life by far. How old are you now? You're 32? 34. Are you in the prime of your life right now physically? Do you feel better than you ever have right now, even after the operations? I feel, dude, I mean, I feel 10 times better since the operation. I've been fighting my last last three years of fighting. Both my Cody fights and my Cejudo fight, I had two blown out shoulders. Completely blown out. My shoulders would dislocate bi-weekly. So probably like twice a month, my shoulder would dislocate. It'd be like a sublux. You know, I'd like I'd go for a shot, anything like overhead. So mainly like grappling in jiu-jitsu. If someone like knocked me out balance, wants to go post on the mat, my shoulder would dislocate. It would pop out. And then they'd pop it back right torn in. Torn labrum, man. Your labrum oh. was bursted. So I had a torn labrum, a fully torn um, supraspinatus rotator cuff, and a partially torn bicep tendon in both, in both shoulders. I have the scar right there if you can see it. All the way down, screws in the back. They tried to go in arthroscopically, couldn't do it, cut me open. And it would be like I'd reach for the soap in the shower, like reach behind me to grab a blanket on a couch, and I'd be like Mel Gibson in in uh in basic or whatever. Well lethal weapon, remember his shoulder would pop out of and he would be slammed into the shower and shit. That's how I was. Um you're cut you you have 
a second chance almost. Like you are mentally tough enough to understand that this is this is nut cutting time. This is F and go time, right? Like, but before that, you're rewinding a little bit more. And what led up to this Cejudo fight was some of the best banter, some of the best friendship burning bridges falling out is it scripted is it drama is it fiction is it made up like there was some times where i was like man this has got to be freaking made up right like you mentioned uriah a little bit ago are you are you friends with uriah still because when you left him did it hurt him i lost you can you hear me yeah, I can hear you. you said, Let's start with Uriah because I've had Uriah on the show. I've been in his gym. Mendez is the one that introduced you and I. Do you wish you were still friends with Uriah? How, how, how is it with Uriah before we get into the man they call no love, which I don't know if you have any love for him. <laughs> I do not actually. I, I, I'm glad that I do not have a, a relationship with Uriah Faber anymore. He's the one that created this whole problem. He's the one that created everything, right? Um, it wasn't no love. I was freaking coaching no love when he came to the gym. I was so give you a little background story. So I trained with team alpha male for six years, three of those years, Dwayne Ludwig was our head coach. We brought him in cause we didn't have a coach. It was just uh, fighters training fighters. We were just big brother in each other. And, and seriously like full on brawl fist fights. Just, we were just tough, tough ass wrestlers making our way. Um, you know, we had Benavides lose a couple of title fights. We had Mendez lose a title fight. Uriah lost like three title fights. And we're always just like right there, but couldn't, couldn't get there and get the belt, you know? And so we all came together and was like, look, man, we need a coach. We've always had a coach like in wrestling growing up, like you need someone to guide us. We need someone to like put us on this right path. And so we put our heads together and we, and luckily enough, Dwayne Ludwig, um, just retired, had a knee surgery and was looking for something to put some coin in his pocket. We hired him best thing we could have ever done that, that, that first year of him being at team alpha male, we went on a run, man. Everyone, everyone, everyone was winning. Everyone. And one thing was not just winning. We were knocking everyone out. We were straight up kickboxers when he came, you know? Um, so he was there for almost three years. We'll say he was there for about two, a little over two years. I won my right. I won my world title against Burrell underneath him. And then he decided to uproot, move himself back to Colorado where his family's from. Um, he knew that Sacramento was a short-term thing. And then, uh, well, him, the main thing that happens, him and Uriah started butting heads. Um, Uriah's, Uriah's a uh, hard nose when it comes to business. And so was Dwayne and the money wasn't there. Like, um, he was trying to take advantage of Dwayne, to be honest, uh, uh, from a third party looking in. Um, I was paying Dwayne 10% of my purse. Cause that's what coaches get. That's what we were paying master Tong before Dwayne got there. Cause that's, that's, that's usually what you pay a head coach, the guy putting that much work into you. Well, your eye, I put a contract together, say we'd all pay him 5% or uh, 5% or $80,000 for the year, whatever was greater. Well, uh, the 5% was greater, but I was paying him 10 and Dwayne realized that like, yeah, everyone should be paying me 10. So kind of like butted heads. Uriah also promised uh, Dwayne some sponsorship money from some of his companies he had, which never ended up happening. So Dwayne just felt taken advantage of, which he was being. Um, and so I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to move home. And so he moved home. I'm still with Team Alpha Male. I become the coach at Team Alpha Male. <laughs> I stuck because I'm the one that caught on to Dwayne's program the fastest. So I became the coach at Team Alpha Male. And I'm also a world champion. So my next fight camp after Dwayne leaves is uh, well, he's in the middle of leaving. It was Joe Soto. So he stayed out there, lived with me, trained for Joe Soto, not Joe Soto. I was supposed to be Burrow. But then fast forward, I'm supposed to fight Brow again. Dwayne's fully moved out to Colorado. He's got his gym out there. 
And then, so me, Joseph, Danny, Holdsworth, um, all these guys are traveling out there back and forth from Team Alpha Male in Colorado to continue to train with Dwayne, as well as train out, train with Team Alpha Male. And when I'm at Team Alpha Male, I'm the coach. And then when I'm at, when I'm, I don't have to be the coach when I go to Dwayne's. And so that whole fight camp, I do the back and forth. Half my camps with Team Alpha Male, half my camps with, uh, with Dwayne. And I just knew like, man, I can't continue this. I can't continue to be flying back and forth. And I can't continue to be coaching guys. I'm coaching the Cody Garbrandt that just moved out there to try to become a UFC fighter. I'm coaching all the guys. I mean, I'm coaching Uriah and all these guys. I'm doing the kickboxing classes. I'm running the morning practices. I just couldn't do it anymore, you know? Um, and so my next fight coming up was going to be Dominic Cruz. And I had a sit-down lunch. Chad, from, <laughs> unfortunately, got um, – Chad Mendez got um, – lumped into this lunch we were supposed to be having. I asked her, I was like, Hey man, can we go to lunch? And I need to, I need to kind of have a, a discussion with you. Right. And so Chad's there with us too. And, um, you know, I started bringing up the fact that like, you know, I'm going to do my full training camp with Dwayne for this next fight for Dominic Cruz. Like I need to take this serious. I need to be Dominic Cruz. I'm trying to be the pound for best fighter in the world. Um, for myself, I need to do my full training camp out at, uh, Dwayne's and him and Dwayne do not like each other. They, they straight up just do not like each other. And so he gives me an ultimatum. He says like, Hey man, you're either with us or you're with him. I'm like, you fuck that day at the lunch at lunch. Yep. And I, are you, I actually, are you, are you at McCooney? No, <laughs> I'm trying to set the stage here where you're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we weren't at McCooney. That's usually our dinner spot. Um, sometimes we go there for lunch, but, uh, this was in ESAC. What was it? Like something 33. I forget. So he gives you an, he gives you an ultimatum right there without like even taking a breath and even going and sleeping on it at night. No. Yeah. It gives me an ultimatum, you know? Um, and it wasn't like, I mean, it was an ultimatum to where like I had, I mean, I, I was sure I've told him like, look, man, that I'm going to have to go to Colorado. It doesn't mean that he meant that I didn't, I didn't think he was going to like straight up kick me out of the gym. Right. So I told him, I was gonna be like, all right, man, I'm going to go out to go out to Dwayne's. Right. So still the next week I'm like trying to come in and hang out and, and watch practice, hang out with the guys. I mean, I've made best friends with the whole team, you know, like super good friends with everyone. Um, and then eventually it works its way up to where he just kicks me out the gym. You know, like I have to gather all my stuff, kicks me out of the gym. And the thing that really rubs me the wrong way is that I'm the bad guy in this situation. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm glad that now I've, I've gotten kicked out because I've gotten my own shit set, settled. I'm in a place where I'm really happy now. I'm not around a bunch of negative cancer motherfuckers. But um, at the time, it was like, are you fuck, Are you kidding me, man? Like, so I'd gather all my stuff. I'm crying, dude. Like, I'm an, again, another. I'm a grown man. I'm what, 28, 29, 29 years old, fucking crying, having to like. Not be what, ha what what happens if you what happens if you do become the best pound for pound fighter in the world and you beat Dominic this night? Is is Uriah looking at it like, well, Ludwig's new gym in Denver is going to get all of the credit when we've been working with TJ for this long? Is that what's going through his mind? It what if like if you yeah. do become the biggest name in the in the weight division or in the UFC at that time? Because Dominic's a bad mofo, dude. Like to see what Cody did to him, I was surprised because I didn't know a lot about Cody. But Dominic was he was pretty badass his career, right? Injuries probably got him, but isn't that what you think Uriah's thinking? Yeah, which is fucked up, man. You're supposed to be my friend. You know what I mean? Like I understand business, but you're my fucking friend. You're, so, you're like you tell me like I'm your brother. I'm out in his corner. I'm training him. We're 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 sweating. We're bleeding. We're crying together. Like you know we're we're supposed to be. So would you have still given Tam? Would you have still given Alpha Male some credit if you? Oh, yeah, would I would, yeah, dude. Of course, man. Like that was like 
ideally my dude, when Dwayne told me he's moving back to Colorado, I was fucking heartbroken, dude. Like he told me that during the Joe Soto thing, I was like, dude, you kidding me? Like I just want a world title and you're going to move to Colorado. Like this is complete fucking bullshit, bro. Like I was pissed at Dwayne for doing this, you know, like I was like, I was like the kid stuck in a split of a divorce, you know what I mean? Having to decide who you're going to go with and you're a bad guy for going this way. You're a bad guy for going this way, you know? Um, and then for, for Uriah to kind of put that, stigma on it that i'm either with them or with, with him it's like dude you're giving me a fucking ultimatum you obviously don't care about me you care about your gym and your business more than you care about what's going to happen to me and to be honest i think there was an underlying um agenda under there of him to fight me for the title you know what i mean like if i'm training at team alpha male it's harder for him to fight me but um because i kind of felt it during ultimate fighter too because i helped him coach against conor mcgregor and that's when the whole snake in the grass thing started before i even left team alpha male i just defended my belt against Barrow in chicago um, I came back, Uriah's coach was a fighter and I'm the champion and, and, uh, Connor's getting under uh, Uriah's skin and telling him like, Hey man, you got the world champion, your weight class right here. He's fucking training out with Ludwig. He's a snake in the grass. I really feel like it was a whole like agenda set up on purpose to create this drama between me and Uriah. And then it was just a perfect segue for him to kick me out of the gym. So that if I go and beat Dominic Cruz, there's this big ass money fight between me and Uriah Faber. And I really believe that was the, that was kind of the underlying um, story behind there that, that obviously has never been spoken. And then, and then when it comes to fighting Cody, it still happens, but it happens because of Uriah. It's like Cody grew up with, without a dad, you know what I mean? He grew up like in a hard up green, um, very good athlete, but had Uriah in his ear, like telling him it was just, he was, Uriah was like, he was Uriah's pawn. He was able to tell him what to do and move him around. And he was their new champion. And like Uriah just got knocked out by Dominic Cruz when he shouldn't even got a title shot. Um, I should have got an immediate rematch because it was a bullshit decision anyways. Um, so yeah, man, it's just, it, to be honest, like the one that caused this whole fucking thing was Uriah. Really? So that the, the, when you're, when you're coaching against, when you're going into this fight with Cody, yeah, you guys are having a lot of banter on the ultimate fighter. Yeah, this is real. Then this face to face, all of this. So, so your your despise of no love is because he sticks up for Uriah, who's maybe filling that father figure role with Cody and moving around like a pawn. You say so. He's right there saying, if you mess with Uriah, you're going to mess with Team Alpha Male, and I'm the new face of Alpha Male or whatever. Now that you're with Ludwig, so I'm going to call you a snake in the grass, and we're going to talk shit. So, is this how many times have you fought no love? Twice, right? Okay, is this in between them? What's that? Is the ultimate fighter in between them with all this confrontation? I fought him the first time. For the first time, right? The lead up to me beating him the first time, yeah. The ultimate fighter is like, so I lost to Dominic Cruz, a split decision that fucking most uh, reporters do not agree with. I should have kept my belt. I won that fucking fight. So I definitely thought like immediate rematch. This is complete bullshit, right? Well, they don't give it to me. They give the fight to Uriah. Um, they have some drama, right? So wait, 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 wait. Well, what was the what was the decision? What fight? Uh, Dominic Cruz split decision when I lost to Dominic Cruz. Yeah, the Dominic Cruz. Okay, got I it. The fight and it was a bullshit decision. Um, but they gave uh, so they gave the title fight to Uriah rather than give me a rematch. So I fought a Sinsel. He was the number one contender. I said, all right, if I'm not getting a rematch, give me the number one contender because I want my belt back. So I fought a Sinsel, number one contender. Didn't get the rematch. They gave it to No Love after uh, after Uriah fought him. Um, and that was the same night I fought Lineker, also the number one contender. So I was, gonna, I was like, I'm not getting a title fight. Give me number one contenders. Like, I still felt like I was the champion. So I wanted to fight the best guys in the world to prove that I was still the number one guy. When Dominic Cruz was fighting 
number eight and number 10 ranked fighters in the world. Uriah Faber was ranked number eight or five in the world when he fought uh, Dominic Cruz. I was number one since I was number two. And Lineker was number three, which I fought those guys. But they leapfrogged him and let him fight uh, Dominic Cruz. And then they fought Cody, which Cody had never fought anybody in the top ten. You know what I mean? It was just, it's just kind of crazy times. But anyways, leading up to it, after when Cody beat Dominic and I beat Lineker in the same night, I fought right before them. I was like, all right, this is fucking bullshit. If I don't get my title fight, the winner of – of Cody and Dominic. I want my fucking belt. Blah, 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 blah. This Cody is what you're saying to Rogan? Yeah, in my interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, like, if, if I don't get a title fight, I said, this shit is ripped, is what I said. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so um, Cody goes out there and has an amazing performance. And then they obviously knew that there was going to be this crazy drama because Cody already started talking shit. He was just saying, like, TJ's a traitor, blah, 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 because we had the ultimate fighter. And all this crazy stuff. And then we do, I mean, then we have to coach against each other on the lead up to our ultimate fighter fight. And that's when all this stuff explodes. And when, when you're watching TJ Dillashaw in those episodes, you're almost subdued a little bit to where you're trying to hold back. Am I right? Were you yeah. trying? Because right now you're aggressive. You're in a really good place and, and you're, and you, 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 you are not afraid to express of how you were feeling, but during the filming, it was almost like you were taking the Dan Henderson approach to where you were just going to let the, the shit talkers talk and go in there and prove it in the octagon, even though he did get into your dish enough time to where you did explode a couple times. That's why I was wondering, like, he must be really getting inside of your head a little bit. If that's what he had intended to do, or you just were tired of it and you weren't going to take, or did, was there something certain? that he said about a coach or something that pissed you off to where you're like, no, that's it. I'm in his dish now. I'm getting in his face. I never got in his face. He got in mine every time. Every well, time. I, I never started any of the, any of the, the bullshit. He always started running his mouth and I knew he was going to look like such a fucking dumbass on TV, which he did. Um, all the shit he was doing and saying looked like a complete idiot, especially after I knocked him out. You know what I mean? Like now all this shit he's talking, all this bullshit he has to run his mouth on. Now you got to back it up. Now, especially when he knows, like I practice with a motherfucker day in and day out. He knows who he's fucking fighting. He's very talented. Don't get me wrong with, with certain things, but he's got huge holes in his game and he's got no fucking chin. He's got, all he has is fast, powerful hands and he's good at it. Right. But I'm telling you, he'll never be the best in the world again. He'll never be the world champion again. He's got no chin and he doesn't hold his hands up. And let's, let's fast forward a little bit. So I'm going to jump around on you. That motherfucker's not even training at Team Alpha Male now. I'm the snake in the grass for leaving. That motherfucker's out training with Mark Henry now at a whole new team. And no one's trying to like, he's trying to talk about how it's different. How it's different that he's training at a different Did team. Did he leave Alpha Male? Yeah. I mean, well, he's kind of, he saw some of them in their corner, but he does not train there. They don't have a coach, bro. Like Team Alpha Male does not have a coach still. Like it is the most, it's the stupid shit. Like Andre Feely has to go down to San Jose and train with the coach down there. Like, they don't have a fucking head coach. It's it's just like anybody that comes in is going to butt heads with Uriah because it turns into money. It's a it's a business money thing, and they end up leaving. Um, they can't ever have a coach. I mean, so he's at a whole new gym. He's training with new people. He's at Frankie Edgar's gym training out there. But I'm the snake for leaving. You know what I mean? Like all this shit that he talked, all everything. He just looks like such a fucking idiot, especially because I knocked him out twice. He's got no chain. He can't hold his hands up. Um, he's fast, he's powerful, but he'll never be a champion. How has it been since USADA? Did he mouth off in public? Oh, I'm sure. You haven't heard anything though. I don't, I actually, to be honest, like I've paid, I've paid attention very little. You know, I, I know that there's, there's tons of probably shit talk out there, but, um, I've just kind of, for the most part, steered away from it. I mean, I never been one of those guys that watched a lot of the fights either, unless there's someone that I really care about fighting. 
or unless I, I'm planning on fighting you. Like I watch tape. I watch a lot, a lot of tape um, on my opponents on who I'm going to fight. But other than that, it's like bring a work home for me. I don't, I don't, I don't go home and watch the fights. You know, I go and train all day long. I'm thinking about fighting. I'm thinking about technique. Then when I go home, it's like, that's the last thing I want to do is watch another fight. You know, right. um, I really haven't paid attention to too much of it, but I'm sure he has. I mean, that's kind of what he does. It's kind of how he stays re- relevant. So leading up to what made you a household name and put you on like the big map of, of MMA and UFC, it was, there was, there was going to be a title fight that night between Chris White, Weedman, Chris Weidman and, um, the guy that spider knocked out with that face kick in the first 10 seconds. What was his name from Brazil? Guy with the Mohawk. Who? Vitor Belfort. Vitor, he gets he gets hurt. Weidman is supposed to fight um, the karate technician. I'm not I, not I can't Machida. I can't think of anybody's name right now. Machida is supposed to fight Weidman. Weidman gets hurt, so then they they postpone that for a couple months. That brings this bantamweight fight in there to where you are not even supposed to be the guy in line to fight him. That fight falls apart, so they stick this guy named TJ Dillashaw in there as pretty much just, well, we got to get somebody in here to fight this guy, right? They had no idea what was getting ready to happen. The organization didn't. Like, you went in there with, I don't even know if you had the confidence to go into that fight you probably did because you're a fighter and you're a mean son of a bitch but come, tell me what's leading up to that night because that is when the the tj Dillashaw brand was born yeah man um i was supposed to be fighting muzugaki on that same card um you know to kind of continue to build my way up to get a title shot um so yeah guys get injured they offered the fight to a since i since i turned it down um, they offered to me, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll take that fight. You know what I mean? Like, of course, that's my goal. I want to be the world champion. Um, I believed in myself, but I was going in as an eight to one underdog fighting a guy that I watched Uriah lose to twice. Um, um, hadn't lost ever only his first fight. I think ever in his career, hadn't lost in 10 years. Um, the pound for pound King there, you know, um, Dana White had him as pound for pound. So I'm going in as just like throw this guy to the wolves, you know, like, eight to one underdog. No one ever had me win in the fight. Um, I knew it. Uh, I knew some of my teammates knew that I was good enough to get out there and, and give it a, give it a, a go. I wouldn't say any of them thought I was going to win, but I know that they thought I was competitive. What's right? your UFC record at this time? Uh, UFC record. I had two losses and I had like, I think I was like 14 and two or something, something like that. See what I had. Are the, and then four fights and then i had another four fights and blah. but were you on a streak at this time were you on I, a streak nine and two <laughs> you were nine and two something like that yeah um so i was on a four fight win streak and i lost a split decision to uh Senso down in brazil um and then i came back and i beat mike easton so i was only on a one fight win streak i should have beat um a Senso, so i should have been on a six fight win streak but it was only one fight um, why, but I, why should, did you get home cooked in Brazil? I did, man. Um, so there's fights. I, I, there's fights. I agree with that. I should have completely lost my, um, Dotson fight. That fight I, I lost. I got clocked pretty good. Um, don't even remember being on a single leg. I was on a single. I complained about them stopping it. Cause that's what, I mean, I don't want to fucking lose ever. I'm very competitive, but that fight, um, for sure. But the, since I'll fight that split decision, I won that one. The Dominic Cruz fight that I, uh, um, I lost, I won that one as well too. 
Um, Henry Cejudo, obviously that's a loss. Um, stopped maybe a little early, but still a loss. You know, I mean, again, I lost my legs. I'll complain about it. But again, no matter what, I lost that fight because for what I did. You know what I mean? So I think I have two losses on my record. Shouldn't have lost those other two. So you're on a streak. You're coming into this. You're thrown into the wolves. You have confidence going in there. You're not even supposed to be in there with the guy. The guy hasn't lost in 10 years. Like He is a freaking like machine his leg kicks his he's just got really really good technique and you huh he just finishes everyone he's finishes everybody yeah what are you what what are the nerves like are you ready for this you've never been on this stage before you've never wrestled for the ncaa title you've never fought for the ufc championship i don't know if you want a state title in california i know you're a four-time qualifier but you've never been on this stage yeah yeah, never, man. Um, and that was kind of the beauty of it. I really loved it. You know, I had no pressure. Like I said, I was an eight to one underdog. No one thought I was going to win. Um, this, is a, this is the first time I'm on even on a pay per view card. You know, I've never even been on a pay per view card before, let alone a main, like, uh, not a main event, but a main, um, a main card. I was always on the prelims. I went from, I went from prelims to main event title fight. You know what I mean? And eight to one underdog being like just, just soaking it up, man. Like the interviews, like media day, I've put my suit on, feeling all sharp, like just like soaking it up, man. And, uh, I really, what changed my, my career, I believe too, is the fight before this one against Mike Easton. I always give Justin Buckles credit for this because it kind of like, for whatever reason, and it's shit that people have told me all the time, kind of switched my psyche on how I fought. Um, cause I used to always get like deathly nervous like you think you should right like insanely nervous before my fights to where it's like fuck man all right you know like, hype yourself up going out there gotta go fight another fucking man in the cage like a bunch of people watching oh shit i can't believe i'm doing this kind of thing you know and then justin buckles before my mike easton fight um he's like dude you get to walk out in front of millions of people right now and fight in an octagon that like so many athletes wish they could be in your shoes like don't be so nervous you're gonna forget about it you know what I mean? Like absorb the situation. And, you know, people tell you this generic shit all the time, but for whatever reason before, and he told me that in the tunnel before I walked out. Right. And for whatever reason, it just kind of like snapped with me. It's like, you know what, this is, this is sick, man. So I walked out, I enjoyed the crowd. I looked it was like in the front row. I saw Shaquille O'Neal sitting right against the cage. Uh, Cause it was in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, found my family, you know, getting all hyped up for the fight. I remember like Shaq talking to me as they're announcing my name because I'm from Sacramento and he was involved in Sac with the Kings. Um, and so I just learned to enjoy it. And even that fight, I had a sick performance. I put on a striking clinic. I was getting more and more comfortable with Dwayne Ludwig, figuring out his fighting style. I was able to fight both stances now. So I was able to do things that people weren't expecting, um, you know, faking takedowns, kicking you in the head kind of shit. Um, so it really when, you comes say, when you say you knew how to fight both, you're talking now, you can go from Southpaw to standard to traditional, no problem. Yeah. Orthodox to Southpaw back and forth. Like I didn't have a stance anymore. I was able to, I trained like a, a year straight with Dwayne to be able to fight Southpaw and Orthodox because he, he does a lot of switch step stuff and different angles and some things we kind of created together. But, um, I was finally comfortable fighting in both stances. 
And that fight's where I really showed it. I really, really blossomed that fight. How I long does it take in the first round when you know that you have a shot at this guy? Because I, I, I know that you had confidence at the bell. I get that. But when do you know in the first round? Is it the knockdown? When does the first knockdown happen? Because it wasn't very long into the fight where the rights landed and he's like Superman on his back almost and you're on top of him. But when is the first time you know leading like up to that? Yeah. Well, um, I never, I mean... I didn't, I never, I never got too comfortable. You never you did. No, you know what I mean? In the world of MMA. Well, yeah, it lost in 10 years. It should, should changes in a blink of an eye. You know yeah. what I mean? That's how I knocked him on his ass. I, so in the first round, I dropped him with a big overhand, right? Um, almost put him away. The round ended uh, very dominant, but even coming out, like at, when I went and sat down in the corner, I was like, Oh shit, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just dropped this guy. Like, Oh my fuck. I gotta hold my stuff together. All right. Well, my stuff's good. I got to keep it going kind of thing. You know what I mean? So even coming out in the second round, um, when I was getting ready for Burrell, um, what really made me ready for him was uh, watching Eddie Wyland fight him. Eddie Wyland ended up getting knocked out with a spinning heel kick, but his feints, like Eddie Wyland's feints kind of threw Burrell off that first round. And I knew that if I can keep that feint and that motion going, Burrell was such a flat-footed, like right in front of you, stop, tile, fight, stop type of fire that if I fainted and moved, his weapons wouldn't be as, as, um, wouldn't be there as much. And so you coming out that second round and you're like, all right, move my feet. Don't stand in front of him. Like I got him now. You know what I mean? Like move, move, move. Um, just kind of keeping my, keep my mind sharp. Um, that fight though, I, I still have never felt a fight like how I felt in that fight. I, I would pay millions of dollars to feel that way again. Um, it was like the fight was in slow motion. I, only thing I can compare it to is like, I, I bet like this, how Michael Jordan felt or uh, some of these, some of the greatest athletes in the world that you watch, like they're able to just like slow shit down and just like everything happened perfectly. Like the game plan went to a T. Yeah, and not, and not only were you executing perfectly, but to the viewer's eye on pay-per-view, I, I like watching fights when I can break them down more on TV and I'm a big fight fan, but I'm not a fight. know it all. Okay. I'm never, I will never claim that, but I have a huge love for wrestling, boxing and MMA watching the fight from the TV. Cause I've been to UFC live events. I've been to De La Hoya fights live. I've been to Tyson fights live. I mean, I was, I was in the fifth row and George Foreman knocked out Michael Moore in Vegas when I was playing ball at you. I mean, I, I'm kind of saying my age there now, bro, but I've been in, I've, I've been in the energy, right? There's a lot of energy, but watch it from TV that night. You were electrifying, man. It was like everything that you did was, was almost like watching Muhammad Ali bounce on his balls of his feet and his tippy toes. It was almost like watching the Tyson duck under when he would spar with Kevin Rooney. It was almost like Ludwig and whoever was responsible for your camp had all of these unorthodox styles to where Cody going back to Cody, when he did some of that Michael Jackson shit in the Dominic fight where it was almost like it was the same kind of approach. If, if you know what I'm saying, watching from the outside in, but that night Dillashaw, you TJ look like, Holy fuck. Where did this guy come from? Kind of deal because I wasn't educated enough sport to keep up with your car, your undercard fights leading up to that. I knew who you were, but when you did what you did that night, I was like, Oh my God, this dude is on a freaking different level of fighting. So I'm not kissing your ass. I'm just saying I, I remember that night going, I think, was it a UFC fight night or was it a pay-per-view? Pay-per-view. It was a pay-per-view. It was, it was unreal. If it was a fight night, they would have never made it happen because, so the only way that the UFC can have a pay-per-view event is if there's a title fight. So that's why you see a lot of these bullshit, like interim fights. And oh, yeah. Okay. MF belts and things like that. Like, 
they make shit up because they can't do a pay. They can't sell pay-per-view legally unless there's a title fight on the card for whatever contract they've written up. They can't do it. So that's why like when champions are laying, sitting out for so long, you see like, come on, man, we need you back. We need you to, we need to sell a pay-per-view event. That's how we make our money. Um, obviously streaming is changing the world of that, but, uh, you know, that's why they have these belt fights because that's the only way they can sell. Uh, so pay-per-view. they put you in there until they get their pay-per-view and you go in there and make it to where, holy shit, I can't. You, usually the lighter weights, I think Aldo was a draw for, uh, for a minute, um, for a lot of his fights, but you're lighter than him. You, you, you go in there and you become this guy that now people want to see the next pay-per-view fight. At the end of the first fight, in my opinion, the guy does not look like he deserves an automatic rematch because he looked tat. I mean, he looked beat up, he but he got it. Yeah. Huh? He got beat up for five rounds and knocked out. Who and should it have been? Who should it have been before part two? Who did you wish it was there? Because you could have maybe you you kind of maybe could have taken that energy and that 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 hype coming off of a fight. One, uh, here's how I'm trying to say this: You just literally destroyed this guy that hadn't been touched in ten years. You probably need somebody in there to where you're like, man, give me somebody to test me because this dude did not just have an off night. He got his ass whipped. Yeah, um, it was hard to say. I mean, but no one else would have sold. You know what I mean? There was no one else there to. Like you said, like the 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 bantamweights weren't a big draw yet until we started putting them on the map. Until like me and Cody and Dominic and those guys started putting them on the map, you know. Um, so anyone else that was in the, in the it could have been like a Sinsel. No one would have watched that shit. Um, Dominic Cruz was still injured, um, you know. That I mean that that that's what kind of I mean at the time I was like, what the fuck? Why did I got to rematch this guy? You know. But looking back on it now, it's like. That was the only way we could got a draw. It's the only way I could continue to build my name. What does Dana say to you that night when you beat him that first time? I didn't talk to him until a few days after I flew home, and then he flew me back out to Vegas. Uh, they cut me a sweet little bonus because I was getting paid eighteen and eighteen. Um, so he threw me a sweet little bonus that I was like, never seen that kind of money before, and just, just like, yeah, I made it. All right. <laughs> Did you get to go on a little shopping spree and a UFC, all that stuff? No, I got- I got, I got married three weeks after. So we had a wedding planned. I was never supposed to fight for the world title, but I still have my wedding planned. Um, so I won the belt and got married three weeks later. Um, so Dana White paid for our honeymoon at one and only. Good party. night. Yeah, yeah, I've always had a lot of respect for Dana White as an entrepreneur and as a businessman. And there's going to be shit talking for the way he's done thing, but he freaking sold to help build a company that sold for four point two billion. The guy is an absolute wizard at what he does. Period. Look what they're doing right now. They're the only sport. Fight on- Island. Period. He's just good. Yeah, he's amazing. He just gets shit done. I want to do this again, Dillashaw, going into January when you're going to get into your next camp. I have a lot more to talk about because I'm a huge fan of what you do. I know that we would become fast friends over one sushi, one duck hunt, one fishing trip. I got a lot of respect for what you did. I hated what you did. Oh, mainly because of for you, because you didn't need to do it. And that's the thing about you just fucking said. I I should have not taken the fight. To be honest, like, you just I, said yourself that you felt like Michael Jordan when he was taken leaving from the free throw line. You felt like Mike Tyson when he knocked Spinks out in 91 seconds. You felt like a million dollars that night you went into that title fight. You don't need that shit. So I want to do it again because I honestly think, as far as watching from a spectator, that you have some skills that dude are unparalleled, man. You have some sick shit. You're mean and you have an unbelievable canny effort to get in position to make the best look 
like they're not the best. And that's an unbelievable talent. So my quick twitch questions, you're a quick twitch guy. If I got into a sparring match with you with hands, I probably would land a few on you because I'm quick as shit too. And uh, now I know where to land it on the back of that head. Maybe that little jaw. I'm totally messing with you, TJ. <laughs> if you're going to train right now and you don't have your coach to listen to, but you got your headphones in or you're the only one in the gym and the speaker's as loud as it can go, who do you listen to during a workout? Is it hip hop, country music, Guns and Roses, Metallica, Slipknot? Are you a punk rock guy? Who do you like the most right now to get down in the gym with? I'm, I'm a big Chili Peppers fan. It's one of my walkout songs, Can't Stop, but Red Hot Chili Peppers. My big Chili Peppers fans. You know, I got um, Rage Against Machine, got Foo Fighters, um, things like that. I mean, I'll mix it up too. I mean, I'll even just get some um, some uh, house music going sometimes too. Just the, you need it, to get Eminem, Godzilla, uncut version for your workout song today, dude. I'm telling you, when he starts rolling on that, um, if you're going, if you and your wife are, get to go out tonight and it's not fight camp, but it's a day after the fight and you look good, you're in your, your Sunday's best, you're taking her out to dinner, do you drink a cocktail? Do you drink a bottle of wine? Do you have a cold Bud Light? Does TJ ever get down on the party? Already seen. Yeah, man. I love me some of tequila soda water. Tequila soda water. Yeah, what, yeah. The next night your wife says, Hey, get the Traeger going. I assume you're a Traeger guy because you're a badass. Um, if not, you need to be, we can I, make I, that happen. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I got what, are you a deer steak guy? Are you a bone in rib guy, rib beef guy? Do you have to eat chicken to keep your body looking the way it does? I'm a red meat. I'm a red meat kind of guy. You're a carnivore. Yeah, man. That's why I'm going elk hunting here. Uh, the beginning of September, um, archery hunt, um, got elk in the freezer now, uh, mainly a uh, big roast. But if I'm going to cook something that's going to be celebrating, I'm probably going to grab a big, uh, big tomahawk or a big ribeye or something. You know what I mean? But I'm mainly, I mainly eat all the elk I have. Well, after, you, after your next victory and after you win the belt, I want to do a cookout together and get, get throw down on some stuff. I got some good ideas. I can eat, man. I'll show you how much I can eat. You think Mendez can eat? I'll, I'll eat him on the table. I love that guy. Just so you know, that dude is, that guy has shown me in life that you can go from selling out arenas to knocking people through the ropes to wrestling and taking down to doing what he did to Connor on short notice. Um, the Aldo fight, you know, Mendez is way better than his career shows. I think if he, I think that the world deserves to see him fight more. And I think it's a shame that they don't get to based on contractual stuff and his desire to stay in the sport. Like you said, this two years off felt great, right? Like he's been training his whole life and fighting his whole life. And now he gets to go hunt and fish for a living. So, but I really think he's one of the best to ever, I ever got to see do it and I think that he could have been a lot more do you agree with that he's one of the best guys I've ever practiced with in my entire life um there's a couple of them and he's one of them he definitely should have been a world champion but the one thing I'll say about Chad Mendez is he didn't love fighting Chad Mendez did fighting because he was good at it Chad Mendez loves what he does now Chad Mendez is like one of the happiest jolliest people I've like we should, all, we should all strive to be more like him. Do you agree? 100%. I've, I've never seen him angry. And even when you do, it's not – he's just like – and he's a badass, bro. Like he's a yeah. ridiculously strong, badass motherfucker, but just ridiculously jolly. And uh, one of the toughest guys I've ever – the strongest guy I've ever grappled with by far. Um, but he's never loved it. He Like you would have you, – like I, you couldn't get me out of the gym – um, Chad Mendes would come in and, and, and a fight camp and he's so naturally gifted that he'd be in there once, sometimes twice a day. And, you know, like he could take fights on short notice, stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm an addict. I'm OCD. I like, I train too much. 
You know what I mean? But um, I have this burning passion of always wanting to be the best, no matter what. Um, and I, 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 I never, I never felt, unfortunately, I never felt that from Chad. I'm not talking crap on him. I'm talking like, it's actually a compliment. He'll admit it. He'll admit it. He would admit that. He is so happy and his wife is so awesome. And I'm so glad that they have a daughter and his fins and feathers business is doing good. I'm actually starting a new company with them right now. We have a line of cookbooks coming out and some rubs and uh, it's called the provider. So we'll ship you some. I see you throwing down on some rubs once in a while. Do you still have a rub deal or do you have your own? I have my own. It's called flavor Republic. Um, so when I first started doing my meal prep and getting into my diet, um, I learned how much, so I used to eat whatever I wanted. When I was first fighting, when I was first world champion, before I met my strength and coach, Sam Calvita, I would make fun of Danny Castillo for being gluten-free. I'd be like, give me more gluten. I'll eat, I'll eat your gluten as well. Give me everything. You know, like I would eat whatever. I would just train my ass off um, until I learned about like what my body was actually doing. I, Dude, I had the hormone levels of, of an old man. Like my testosterone was shit, like just redlining my body. Um, and a lot of it was from my diet. Like I couldn't have a kid because of it, a lot of stuff. Um, so I changed my diet up and a lot of it was like getting sugar completely out of my body. And most rubs and spices have a bunch of bullshit in them. They have a bunch of sugar in them. They have a bunch of stuff that I can't really eat. So uh, me and a couple of my buddies are also on the same diet and I'm starting our own company called Flavor Republic. Still a small, small company, but it does good. Um, yeah, it's well, fun. Well, hey, why don't it, a lot of it's, it, was it paleo rubs too? Would it, would it be considered a paleo rub? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you my address. I'm going to text you my address. Ship me some so I can do some content with it and some recipes. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate that. So my last two questions are this. Me and you roll into downtown Sac to Makuni and the waiter walks up. One, I know he's going to recognize you. Two, are you a sashimi guy? Do you like nigiri with some rice? Or do, you, do you need to have a roll? Please tell me you're not a whack job that likes cream cheese and fried shit and a sushi. What do you order at Makuni if we go there I- tomorrow night? I'm mainly a sushimi and nigiri kind of guy, um, but I'd have to order the TJ roll. I have a TJ roll there. Oh yeah, oh nice. I got my own roll there. It's uh, it's amazing. It's huge though. It's so freaking big. It's ridiculous. Because so I've good. had the money roll with Mendez there. Money rolls good. Money rolls good. Money rolls real good. But I'm, I'm a little more simple. Even my TJ rolls a little more uh, complex than I even normally eat. I'm more uh, straight shooter, just nigiri, it's a ton of nigiri. Um, I actually don't eat much rice though either. So, um, yeah, rice is kind of something I've st- started stayed away from because I found out that I have a lot of arsenic in my body. Um, God damn, you know your body so well. I need to get these tests done. Dude, I need to start look. I need to start looking like Dillashaw. There you go, man. Uh, hair analysis will tell you a lot about what's going on in your body for a long time. It'll tell you the toxins you got in your body, the minerals you're missing, the minerals you have too much of, um, and the heavy metals you have. And heavy metals are like ridiculously hard to get out of your body. And I had a lot of arsenic. Um, rice carries arsenic because the water it's it's grown in. Um, so I try to stick away from it as much as possible, as well as it'll like spike your insulin levels. If I'm trying to bulk, I don't mind eating it. But when I'm trying to get into fight shape, I don't eat much rice. So your kid's eight years old. When he's eight years old, he's nine. How old's your son right now? Two and a half. He's eight years old, and he catches you off guard one day. Yeah. He says, Dad, I was at school today, and somebody said that you cheated. Somebody made fun of me. And he catches you off guard. You haven't had an effing time. You haven't had a chance to sit him down and tell him, like, I know you're going to. Yeah, he'll know. What do you say? How is this going to go down? I want to know what you say to your son, because I want everybody else to hear it. I want people to understand who you are, what kind of guy you are, how you were raised, what your mom would do to you when she finds out you did this, and what your mom will do to somebody if they they talk shit about you after you've come 
been and been transparent and got down on your knees and 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 told people, look, I apologize. I know I effed up, but telling your son is different. What do you say to your son? And how does it go down? I want to end the podcast like that. We'll say our goodbyes after you tell me this answer. I tell him, son, you know, like uh, made a mistake. Um, no running from it. And uh, learn from my learn, learn 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 from me. Don't do as I do. Do as I do as I say. Kind of thing, you know. Um, that uh, you know, it's it's been one of the biggest mistakes of my life, and uh, I've had to learn from it. It's very tough, but. I wouldn't be in the situation I am today without it, you know? So we learn from our mistakes. As long as you own up to them, you try to hide from them, they'll haunt you forever. Very well said, TJ. Well, I'm, I'm proud to know you, man, and I'm proud of your career, and I want to see you come back and whip somebody's ass. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to do this again because I want to do one pre-camp, maybe one during camp, maybe one post-camp. Like, I don't want to mess with your mental – I know you're mentally tough and strong, but I want, to, I want to follow this because I'm very intrigued by what's getting ready to go down when you do come back, and I can't wait to watch you fight again. I mean, don't catch me wrong, man. This is going to be – it hasn't really been done. You know, people haven't really came out the way I've came out with it, you know, and so – I'm not going to hide from it. I'm going to tell you, yeah, it's going to fucking suck coming back too. But guess what? That's, that's the cards I gave myself. You know what well, I mean? man, like if that- we can help in any way, man, I'm, I, I'm with you. And I think that your career is going to get better because of it. We learn from our mistakes. The people that are ignorant and don't and continue to make those mistakes are the ones that you really got to say, really? Like you didn't learn the first time, but I know that you have. And man, I'm, I appreciate you coming on here, bro. Of course, brother. I appreciate you having me on. That's TJ Dillashaw, man. Where can we find you? At TJ Dillashaw on Instagram. You can see some of his catch training videos and his six pack. Ladies, he's married. So don't be, don't be what they, what they call these, the kids today, they call it sliding into your DMs, man. Slide into his DMs and send him a little invite to a party. No, he's not coming to your party. He's training, he's focused, and he's not going to go down that freaking road at all. That's TJ Dillashaw. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast brought to you by our friends at Jack Daniels. Please enjoy Jack Daniels always responsibly and never allow underage drinking. Please continue to support the sponsors and partners that support our TV shows, all of our brands and our podcast. Thank you all for the downloads, the subscriptions and the growth. We're humbled by it. Can't wait to bring you another episode. This song right here is called What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone. It was written by Drake White and Leith Lofton. This version is performed by my good friend Leith Lofton, a.k. K.A. Haas. Tom, take it away and hit that button. I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all gone